0: Hey, I'm Donna Miro and this is Through the Fire, a podcast about overcoming adversity, reframing misfortune, and celebrating courage. On this show, you're going to meet some really incredible people who have been through some heavy stuff, but they've come through the other side. And the hope is that you're encouraged and inspired by the words that you hear. Today, I'm welcoming a friend, a mentor, and fellow singer-songwriter who's got 30 years of stories and songs to share from his career. So we're going to be here for a long time. He's been somebody who's been inspiring me for a long time. We hung out just yesterday, uh, and uh, I want to introduce you to my dear friend, Steve Bell.
1: Hey, Steve, how you doing? I'm doing just fine, thanks.
0: Well, thanks for uh, joining us on Through the Fire. I want to start off with, I think it's a hilarious story when I look back at it now, the, the story of how we met. Um. So, twenty some years ago, twenty two years ago or so, I used to work at a cafe down Henderson called the Grace Cafe. Uh, I hadn't known of your music before then. My wife Pam, well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but but my coworker Pam, uh, she would play this Steve Bell guy all the time at, at the in you know as the morning we were getting coffee and stuff ready, and um and she would tell me all about Steve and and you know being to your concerts and stuff, and um and then I I went and saw you live for the first time maybe a year or two later. And I got it. I understood why people loved Steve Bell so much. Uh, Fantastic storyteller. So then I got I got I I, this sounds like a man crush happening here, but I got really, really interested in 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 your journey and and watching you on stages, how comfortable you were. I remember uh, a mutual friend of ours once said, uh, Dave White, he said, when people leave a Steve Bell concert, they don't go. We went and saw Steve Bell last night. They say, I saw Steve. And everybody knew who they meant. everybody knew who you were Oh, that's it, interesting because okay. they felt close to you and, and mm-hmm. you because you've always endeared yourself to your audience. and so mm-hmm. long story short, we bumped into each other a couple of times I think at Winnipeg mm-hmm. Folk Festival in an elevator somewhere downtown and you didn't really know who I was. but one day uh, this, <laughs> this is where it gets funny, my mother-in-law and I went to see you at a concert here in Winnipeg. It was minus 40 outside. About 14 people showed up to the concert because it was off a- absolutely terrible. People's cars couldn't start. Whatever, it was just terrible. And I'm thinking in my head, tonight's the night I get to go say hi to Steve because you know there's not going to be a lineup to see you after the show. Right. <laughs> so my mother-in-law, <laughs> we come up to you and I said, and, and and I was about to be like, hey Steve, big fan. And my mother-in-law goes, Steve, this is my son. He's my son-in-law. He's very big fan of yours, and he's a musician too. And I immediately went like.
1: Man, oh,
0: no. <laughs> how many people go up to Steve every day and say, "My son's a musician," and I was just like, "Hi, Steve, see you later," and I just walked away, <laughs> just deflated in that moment. And yeah. and we we somehow you continued to allow me into your sphere. One night you saw me at a concert and you said, "Hey, is that Donna Merrill?" You invited me on stage. Yeah, and I think that I, I opened the gates. That. Yeah,
1: I think that's the first time I actually heard. I think I would heard maybe some recording of you, and I, so I knew like you could pull off a song. But right. there you were sitting there, and I said. I don't know what possessed, me. I said, come and do a song. And so you came up, grabbed my guitar, looked yeah. at my audience. I think you did two songs and it was, yeah. uh, it was, you just kind of stole their hearts. And that's when I kind of, okay, he's, he's, he's all right, this guy. So. And th- that was probably uh, 12 years ago, maybe
0: 12 or yeah, something. I would say at least ago. eight. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and since then, yeah, we've, we've been, uh, been following each other's careers. I went on the road with you for a little while back mm-hmm. in the, about seven years ago. Yeah,
1: we did. We did. What a good dozen or so dates yeah right out to the east coast did we go west coast
0: Uh, I think it was just east yeah we did we did maybe 10 or 12 dates yeah Yeah. something like that That's Which was incredible, like just again getting those stories firsthand uh, in, in the back of the van. Uh, some we, we can't share here, <laughs> <It's>, but <laughs> I
1: know, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've got a storied life, you know, so yeah. there's lots to draw on. So there you go, yeah.
0: Um, so that's our connection. We go way back, and Steve mm-hmm. and and his, his business partner uh, Dave Zeglinski have been huge supporters of me over the years, and mm-hmm. I'm just grateful for that. And um, but I wanted to just catch up with you, see how you're doing today. Like I, you know, I, I know you as a friend, but I think the audience that doesn't know how you're doing, uh, mm-hmm. catch us up.
1: I'm doing fine the um you know it's still kind of reeling from covid and and um and trying to sort of pick up and figure out where to put our energies and you know we we missed three years but the industry and technology moved so fast in that time and so and most of us got on board with this kind of stuff and I've got now a little video studio that I didn't used to have before um and so now that we're coming out of covid and people are kind of getting back to normal now the question is so where do we put our energies you know and i'm getting older i can't quite do the amount of road work that i did before i just those three years were just were significant there you know so I, I aged a lot in those three years so i'm getting back on the road but i'm probably not going to go as, as hard as i was but it's it's kind of where i get my my greatest joy from so kind of getting back to it preparing i've got a handful of new songs so now now we're starting to think about a new album um, I got at least one or two left of me, I hope. Um, and so we'll, we'll get working on that in the new year.
0: It's the cycles, Hey, like I find musicians go through these cycles of, it's, it's, we call them album cycles. And, uh, and I think, it, you know, not only that for you, but you're also an author. You've got some books you've written. Any more books coming from Steve Bell? I don't, I
1: don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've got, I've got some ideas, but nothing's burning. And, and so I don't want to write a book just to write a book. Um, you know, so, there was there was a lot of call for that last. I did this little book on the church calendar year, and well, seven little volumes on it. And but there was a, there was a lot of appetite for it, and so I did it. I, I don't know. I, I I think I want to really work on. I think I'm best as a songwriter, and and so I want to make sure I can you know, however much time I have left, I get out the ones that need to get out and make make room for them.
0: Because you're such a great storyteller, is there um, like an autobiography, like just something that just tells the stories of your? Journey.
1: You know, I started that a couple of years ago. I, I I started writing, and I just got bored of hearing myself talk mm. about myself. So, <laughs> I don't know. I think if that was going to happen, I'd need someone else to come along and and someone right. to, like, I don't know. It's hard for me to know what's interesting to a reader in terms of my life. When I'm in concert, I've got your eye. You know, I've got your face. I can tell. If What's I'm working, connecting, yeah, of, yeah, you, yeah, and you know that because when I do my concerts, I don't even have normally even a plan of what songs I'm going to do, and so I, I read the audience and kind of go from there. With I, I found with COVID um, and doing all the online work, and then also with writing is that you can't see your audience, and so you would really that's why writing is so hard. You get no visual cues of are you connecting, um, and so I find it hard work. So I th- I think I was going if I was going to do an autobiography, I'd have to have a ghost writer. I think and have someone else sort of determine what's interesting to people. Cause I'm not quite sure.
0: I would venture to guess that everybody who's ever had an autobiography, unless it's somebody who's completely into themselves, uh, would have, have you echoed those same words? It's like, I don't know what's interesting. I don't know what people would want to hear, but I'll tell you this. Yeah. Every time I hear you speak, I'm interested. I, I Honestly, I, I, <laughs> oh, I feel good. Yeah, but about anything and everything, you know, like you can probably make a, a milkshake sound really interesting and have a cool story about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I often get it's kind of a funny thing because when I started in, uh, in back in, gosh, I started playing clubs in 78 and um, I was in bands. I was always a side guy. I never spoke a word in between songs. I just didn't really have anything unless it, unless it was hard plan, like exact, you know, so I was super shy on stage in terms of talking. Um, and I was, I was, again, always a side guy. And then in 1989, I did sort of my first solo concert after a decade of playing in clubs and other people's bands. And I was terrified because I had nothing to say. Um, and the the minute I was on my own, stories started coming out. It was almost like a a, out of body experience and going, where do you, where did you get that from? And where do you think you're going with it? Um, and, and it became a mark of of my work. And now people often after concerts still, they'll come and they'll, at the end of the concerts, they'll say, I just love your stories so much. And they walk away, and they come back and say, oh, I liked your songs too. <laughs> <laughs> I could call it, thanks. <laughs> but stories, you know what, but it makes sense though. I mean, like throughout history, I mean, civilization moves forward by telling stories, right? And stories are different than um, passing on, say, uh, scientific knowledge. Here's what I, what I want you to know about a molecule, or here's what I want you to know about, say, as a Christian, say theology or something. But with the story it's an it's an open source thing you kind of you you take what you can and you insert yourself as you can and you you make your own meaning with the story so stories are democratic in that sense that you you're the listener gets to decide what they're going to take from it
0: well and and like songs in my opinion are are snapshots of an era right like they they sort of take a picture of of the time that you're alive so all these songs that you've written are stories but also pictures of of the eras that's
1: that's why we call a collection of them an album it's like a photo album but this is a song album this is yeah so this is what was happening prior to you know 2008 when i put the album out this is these twelve songs are the the snapshots of the year and a half before that.
0: So, Signpost Music is your record company mm-hmm. um, that you and your business partner Dave Zeglinski started a number of years mm-hmm. ago. I'm I'm intrigued by this story. I love hearing the story about how it began because um, I know when you first started it was. It was a big leap of faith to figure out how to even get this thing off the ground, especially bringing other people into it. So, can you share us the story of Signpost how it began? Yeah,
1: the whole time I was playing clubs and all these other bands, people kept on saying you should do, you should go solo, you should go solo. And I'm going, no, I don't have it. I don't, you know, I just didn't have any confidence in that. And then in 19, it was like 89 somewhere on there. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to just use spiritual language as I understand it. But I just really felt God spoke to me and said you're to do this, and and it was powerful enough that I. I kind of launched out and uh, recorded an album and started accepting invitations to go sing, and I was terrified, and I didn't know how to... I'm, I'm not a good business guy, and I, I, I'm i like just a wake of mess behind me everywhere I go. And But I started it, and um, I was playing for a couple of years, just finding my own gigs. And uh, meanwhile, my buddy Dave Zaglinski, who I'd known for decades, had a, um, had a commercial recording studio in Winnipeg. And we had known each other for a long time. We're good friends. I wrote commercials for him in, in lieu of studio time so I could do my own stuff, that kind of thing. And um, and I went to him one night and I just said, boy, I could sure you some help with this next album. I had no money and, and I had some songs. And he said, why don't I fund it and record it and we'll become business partners on that album. So we became 50-50 business partners on that particular album. And now that he had an investment, he started showing up to concerts. <laughs> And realized that I, you know, that sound was really crappy. And so he'd start bringing a PA and better mics. And then he'd realize that I was never getting to the back to set up the, well, at that time, cassettes. And so I was losing sales. And so he started, you know, coming early and setting up a table. And then he started realizing, you know, a lot of people had credit cards now. And so he got a credit card machine. And and then he started saying, well, if we offer buy two, get one free, we might do better. And we, and he started experimenting with the, um, the money end of it. And he's just... He he wasn't sort of from the same background I was from, so he wasn't sort of hampered. Like his imagination wasn't hampered. He started going if you if you put the table here rather than there, you get twenty percent more sales. Like he would notice that kind of thing, you know. Um, and so like I'm starting to make money, and um, just because someone is uh, taking care of business. And then at one point he he was really tired of the recording industry. He was doing commercials and stuff, and it's it's like being a private eye like you, you know you get maybe a couple of good cases here and there but it's mostly just <laughs> watching people do that, you know right and uh he was looking for something more meaningful and he just said why don't we just partner 50 50 and all things steve bell and uh, he'd already kind of proven himself and um and i don't know if you're interested in these details i remember saying to him i, I can't afford you i can't afford to split
0: this is the detail uh, i want yeah i remember this part yeah
1: yeah. yeah. You know, and I just wasn't making enough. I can't take on another full-time partner. My wife and I are poor. We have kids. And, and Dave said, uh, I think at that point I was averaging about $2,000 a month and, um, roughly. And he said, I'll tell you what, he said, why don't we become business partners? But for, from now on the first 2000 that comes in the door is yours. Um, and then anything, if I can make more by my purchase, particip- I get my next 2000 after that. And if it gets more than that, then we split. And, uh, he came on board full time with me and never missed a paycheck. Is that still
0: the deal to this day?
1: Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we've never really, no, no, because we did eventually incorporate. So now, right, now, right. yeah, You're just so paying now each had, other
0: salaries. and... Yeah yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So now it's an even thing. But that was, that was sort of the, we had a little, he wrote out a little paragraph sort of statement and I signed it and he signed it and that was the deal. And, um, a couple of times we had some lean moments, and he sort of put some of his assets on the line so that we could uh, make put things. his assets but, and, on the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was Sorry. hoping you'd pick up on Fair that. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he, <laughs> yeah. so, so we somehow managed to uh, survive. And It's, it's kind of weird because I mean I've got a fairly limited. I mean I'm a sort of a Christian folkie in the prairies. Like the like the 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 the, the idea that this could sustain. Um, you know, one salary. Never mind two. Now it's five and a studio, and it just seemed un- unthinkable, But it's worked.
0: I think it's worth applauding because what I've witnessed in Signpost, and I mean, albeit things have changed and evolved, and not quite the same as it once was. But I, you, you know, you've existed through a pandemic. You've you've, from my view, looks like you've been surviving and hopefully thriving in a way. And mm-hmm. um, and I think a big part of that is is the way you've engaged your fan base to continue to support what you do. But um, I don't. Know if there's a whole lot of models that that can do what you do that that I that I've seen, and I've you know I've been in the industry for 15 years. It your situation is incredibly unique and and is such a strength. I see.
1: Oh, thanks. And again, like it's it also it's something to also the culture that I'm singing into. You know, I mean, here's the deal: my audience is generally Christians um, uh, for the most part. I mean, there's lots of non-Christians that in, appreciate my music, but mostly it's Christian people. They have their own buildings. <laughs> They gather. Um, I, you know, I can access them. I know where they are, um, and so it's it's a little different than if I was going to say I had a, I, I wrote music for you know, twenty to thirty year old guys. You mm-hmm. know, well, how do you how do you access them? How do you reach right? them? Yeah, you know, yeah. how do you reach them? I know where, where my main core audience is every Sunday morning. Right. Um, and so it was it was kind of it was easy to tap in, and then the other thing is is that um, that audience also understands mission. And, and so they'll support it financially. And so, you know, we've been we've been supported by concert, you know, revenue and CD revenue and all that kind of stuff. But there's also a, a significant group of people that appreciate what I do and help me financially once a month and, and um, or once a year. And, and that's just made the difference and made it um, doable. So I'm very fortunate that way.
0: Well, you guys have built a really strong model to make, to make that work. I was going to say, too, didn't you guys for a while have like T-shirts saying everybody needs a Dave Zaglinski or something like that? Yeah,
1: I found my Dave.
0: I found my Dave. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So I, I, and I do this. I've talked to uh, like, like Dave, my manager, for those who are listening or watching, um, he's fairly unique. And I mean, he's my manager, but I'm his only client. Like we're just business partners. It's not like he's got 10 other people. Um, and so we're just together on everything. Uh, we travel everywhere together. I almost never get on a plane without him. Uh, we stay in the same hotel room, uh, and, and we plot together, and, and we kind of take our lumps together, and, and take our victories together. And uh, I've, I've talked to so many musicians over the years, and I'll say, like, how's you know how's how's it going? And they'll say, I haven't found my Dave yet.
0: Well, I'll, I'll say a shout out to to my Lori Brown. I feel like. It's very, very similar to you and Dave. I mean, all yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not we're not staying in the same hotel rooms and we're not traveling on the same planes <laughs> all the time. Yeah, but yeah. but she really has been like when I think of you and Dave, I think left brain right brain. Like you're the artist, you're very yep. like connected to the people. Where Dave yep. is like, here's what needs to happen in order to make these things yeah. happen, and he's
1: got the discipline to, to do those things. Right? Yeah, yeah and I yeah. think
0: between Lori and I, it's very much the same thing. And so again. I've learned from your model, and I sought until until a Dave came into my world by the name of Laurie Brown.
1: <laughs> That's great, but you need it though. I mean, I think a lot of young musicians don't quite understand this, but it's it's a business, right? And if you're if you if you like cooking, you don't want to cook for a living. Um, you know, you you can't just open up a, a space and start cooking. You have to make a, have a relationship with a, a bank, and you have to pay back loans and you have to stay up late at night and you have to do all the stuff that you don't like doing and I think artists sometimes think that the that the best thing that could happen is someone could just take away everything and so all they have to do is their heart's desire which is to write music and that's I think sometimes that's about the worst thing that can happen I think I think you need to learn and and um, you know I think about artists that are doing well at at, at sort of a, at a smaller like the brothers Landreth. you know they you know David, like he gets it. He, 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 he does the books. He's, he's really good at the bank. He, he makes sure the taxes are paid. Like there's, there's you're not sort of running away from anybody, you know? Um, and, and so, and when that happens, people kind of go, oh, and they, they see there's discipline and there's responsibility and then they want to get on board, you know? And then people all of a sudden say, hey, can I, can I be part of this? It's, so I've had the good fortune because Dave, like I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Dave. I'm I'm messy. I'm I'm a I'm sloppy like and if it was just me I would have been finished years ago. But because Dave keeps things tidy and clean and neat um and pays attention to those details, other people come along and say, "Oh, I I want to be part of that."
0: So you guys coexist. You very much
1: coexist. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah.
0: We're talking very much about business. I want to get personal in just a minute with you Steve, but before we do that, you know, this show being called Through the Fire when you look back at business, you know, we maybe it, you've just gone through through the pandemic, but is there a particular season or or a, a like a thing where you went through you thought this is it, we're done and and, oh, yeah. and you and you pulled through. What what, what was that season?
1: Well, well, there's been several and they they usually had they're not catastrophic, but like little things like you put out an album, you put all all your mail outs, all that kind of stuff and then the postal service goes on strike just before Christmas and all of a sudden you know, you're sitting on you know sixty thousand dollars of borrowed money on on short term, and you can't get your product to the market. You know, stuff like that has happened several times to us. Um, and so I, I remember one time exactly that how we we come with an album, we spent some good money on it, we made a great record, and then and and this is before which record was that? I think it it, it might have been. Um, oh, I can't remember now. I mean, it might have been s- Simple Songs, or I can't, I can't remember. But all I, all I remember is that all of our mail-outs went out and then nobody could respond. And we're sitting on all this stock and and um and short-term loans. And I remember we're out, Dave and I were out the East Coast and and uh, we're kinda of touring and we're just we're out of money. And I said to Dave, or Dave said to me, he said, you know what, let's give another two or three months. If we can't turn this around, maybe we're gonna have to just, you know, call it quits and do something else. And we're driving down the road, and we're quiet. And then we both burst out laughing because we have no skills. Like if we can't do this, (laughs) we got nothing else. So I I think, like, I mean, we could tell the story about our bravery and our tenacity and all that kind of stuff. But we're in it because we just have no other options. You know, it's not like I could go. What else would I do if I can't do this? So we had to stay in, and we had to fight through, and we had to borrow money, and we had to ask people for favors, and. I've got story after story of sort of have to eat humble pie and ask people to help. Um, the thing about music, though, and art in general, is it's for the people. And, and when, you, when you do it for yourself, you're kind of on your own. But when you, when you do it for the people, the people want to be part of it. If you ask, they'll help. And we have just gotten help over and over and over. And one of the things that's been really kind of negative in the last you know, 30, 40 years is that I think, especially in music, but we start to think that that songwriting is about self expression i'm going to i'm going to sort of tell you my deep inner genius you know uh, for your benefit or something you know or my deep inner angst or my unique sorrows or all that kind of stuff and that's okay there's a certain attraction to it but in the end after a while it gets a bit icky but if you can do your work in a sense that you're you're being truthful about your life but you're doing it in a a way to help people articulate their life as well they they receive it as a gift and they're they're willing to help It's, it's um it's for them
0: we're just gonna take a quick break and we're gonna get personal with steve bell in just a minute on through the fire So Steve, uh, we've talked a lot about business. We've gone through some of the highs and lows of that. Um, In your personal life, I know because we're friends, I know some of your personal journey. And I, you know, again, I don't want to tell your story for you, but um, I know we we were just chatting yesterday and and you had talked about, um, if it's okay for me to go there, you talked about your mom and your mom facing a mental illness when you were a young man and, and maybe even a child. Like, I don't know how old you were when you were watching your mom go through that. But if you don't mind, could you take
1: me back to that season of your life? Yeah, I was about 8 years old. So my my father's a pastor, he's a baptist minister, and uh we were in Drumheller, Alberta at, at you know 7, 8 years old, um living a sort of a nice sort of pleasant life. You know, everything was fine as far as I was able to tell. I had two loving parents and um and two sisters, um and um one day my mother from my perspective out of the blue. I mean, dad knew she was struggling before this, but I wouldn't have known, but she just collapsed. And uh, I remember uh, I was out, out in the front lawn with my sisters, and my mom was bringing out a tray of of uh, lemonade, and um, she kind of looked at us and then called out my dad's name and crashed to the the ground. And the ambulance came, and they took away my mom, and I didn't see her for six months. And it was a it was eight a,
0: years old, you say?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it was a it was a it was a crippling nervous breakdown. I don't know, you know, they probably have different language for it now. Anxiety disorder, panic attack, all that kind of stuff, and it sort of came on her in her mid thirties, um, and completely devastated our family. Um, Can I stop you
0: for a sec? Was there anything hmm. that you think would have triggered that? Was there some past traumas maybe she had been carrying, or was it kind of just surprising oh, yeah. to you? Oh, okay.
1: Oh yeah, she yeah she she was brought up in a fairly f- uh, violent disciplinary uh, family, you know, um, and so there was and, and it was there was a lot of religious language behind it to justify it. You know, and so I mean, that's the worst, eh? You know, like you know, I'm I'm gonna hurt you, and God's on my side, and I'm the parent, and all that kind of stuff. It was it was pretty awful, and so oh you no, know, there's there was deep trauma for my mom for sure, and um, and so she that just that got the best of her, and she ended up for the rest of my life, for the rest of her life, and she's still living. She's 91 now, um, but that that um, she has episodes sometimes two, three, or four years at a time where she's incapacitated by mental illness. And then she'll fight her way to the top and be just awesome for two or three or four years, and then it hits her again. Um, and that's been all the way through our lives. So uh, we got, I don't want to say get used to it, but it, it, it sort of was just part of our story that would come and go. And I'm not complaining about her. I i, I adore her. Like, she's she's magnificent. Um, but that's our story, and that's just part of what we had to deal with as... You know my dad had to often parent um, by himself, and um, we had and had to help us kids understand what it's like to watch your mother suffer, and and of course as a child whose fault is it and who's to blame, and and my dad was really gracious about that. He did understand, um, even for the era, more than I think most people normally would have, um, and he 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 taught us kids how to be hospitable to my mom's illness. And, and to uh, be gracious. And when my mom was spinning out, we were taught how to not take that, internalize that. It's not our fault. Um, you know, those sorts of things. So my dad was very wise. And my mom also. Like, even, even in her darkest times, um, I always knew I was loved. Um, but she was often not emotionally available. You know, and so I guess that marks you somehow. It sounds like to me
0: your dad was a guide for you guys through all that. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. He really did. I mean, he was never, I mean, a lot of times, you know, um, boy, I don't know how much, you know, in, in, especially in that, that, that sort of kind of Christian world and that mindset often is, you know, everything get, becomes spiritual. How do we, you know, my dad would actually read books in psychology and, 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 and talk to psychiatrists and psychologists and, 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 understand as best as he could what this is. And of course, some of it is spiritual and, you know, we pray and, and we have faith and all those kind of things, but he did, um, um, he did learn about mental illness in a way that a lot of people at that age at that time didn't pay much attention to, and so he was able to help us um um uh, to, to kind of make sense of it in a sense and and realize that um we my sisters and I and my dad it was our we were this was our situation that we were given and our job was to love and care for our mom um and and to um and to learn how to receive um, or how to, to, to absorb her, her emotional absences in a way that wasn't personally wounding. You know, it wasn't her fault and it wasn't our fault.
0: As a father, your kids yeah. would have grown up, obviously knowing your your parents and connected yeah. to them. Um, yeah. how, how did your children uh, connect with your mom and and?
1: Well, but when Nancy and I got married, my mom and dad uh, were out in the East Coast. Um, and so my kids kind of grew up with their grandparents. They loved their grandparents, but they were distant, you know. And so whenever we saw them... A couple I mean, times dis- a
0: year. Kind of yeah, a yeah. couple
1: times a year. So they didn't, they didn't really grow up with the trauma of that, for sure. I mean, they knew about it. I, I was, I've was i always been open about it. Uh, the, the great thing about that is that dad, dad um, was able to let us know that mental illness is not... There's nothing to be ashamed of. And so we... Like I've just never been embarrassed about it. Um, you know, I've never been I'd never speak in hushed tones about my mom's illness or you know, or anything like that.
0: We have this let's talk movement over the last twenty years ish. Maybe I'm wrong on that time frame, but like you know, it sounds to me like you guys were already ahead of the curve and, and everybody's saying, Let's talk about these things because we need to be open about sharing the struggles because we so often put on this facade of like everything's great and and, and it's but really there's a lot going on in the back end for Of
1: a lot course, of us. yeah. And and why are we why are we ashamed of it? Like if I if I break my arm, I'm not gonna hide it from you. My arm's broken. I get you to sign it. Yeah. Like right. I'm wounded, right? And you, and you, it, it weirdly, when you're a kid, you break your arm, you celebrate it, you get all the signatures, and everybody treats you special. And we're frail, you know? And so, why mentally should it surprise us if there's brokenness or whatever? And I, and I find even I talk, I'll talk about my mom, and, and it's okay. Like, mom give, has given me permission to do that um, in concert. And then afterwards, and I see this all the time. And you know how people line up after a concert, they want to talk to you and they, you told this story. And so they want to connect to it and they want to tell you their story. And that's, that's part of the fun of this work, you know, but there's always, I can tell like four people down, there's someone standing there and I know what's coming. I can see it in their body and they get up to you and they'll, then they'll lean over in and quietly say, do you know what, what you said about your mom? And I go, yeah. And I'll whisper back. Yeah. And then they'll say, me too. You know? And I'm, then I'm like, <laughs> you know, like you know, and I and I and understand. I understand. There's there's social consequences to these things because. But
0: you're kind of letting people into a bit of a safe space when you. I think when yeah. you go that to that place. Of course you're yeah. broken. Mm-hmm. Of course
1: I'm broken. Like what you know, right. like and 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 I I think. Now here's what's interesting. When when my mom first got ill, my dad, um, the church that we were in. Uh, and it wasn't a fault of the church. It was the society in general just really had a struggle with my mom's mental illness. It was, it was awkward. And, and right around that time, my dad took a position as a prison chaplain in Drumheller Prison as a, as a boy. And interestingly, and that's where we went to church from then on. Every Sunday, we went to church in a federal prison. And uh, interestingly, the inmates had no problems with my mom being ill. Like it just sort of welcomed these broken people, welcomed our broken family into their fellowship. And honestly, like... I would say they saved us. The, the attitude is sort of like, you know, we're your people. We're, you know, join the fellowship of the messed up. Like, you know, and so being well and being whole was not a requirement of their community, of being a belonging. In fact, your brokenness was almost the the ticket in. Wouldn't that be amazing if more churches thought that way even I, yeah, now? Yeah, I know. And it is getting better. I think, well, I believe so. I believe yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, it is getting better. But I mean, I don't know why we're so weirded about it. But anyways, it was prison inmates that, that in, interestingly, um, were the ones that gave our family and my mom a safe place to recover and get better.
0: If you don't mind, I'm going to switch gears on you here. What's coming up for you? I know you said you got some albums in the work. Uh, albums, album, I'm not sure. But then uh, I know you're probably back on the road a little bit. And
1: Yeah, I'll do most of my road work between September and December. And then it gets a little lighter through January, February, March. And then I I typically don't do much in the late spring and summer Um, because people want to be outdoors. I'm not really good outdoors. I need a, being a storyteller, I kind of need a more, like, Enclosed. In environment where people yeah. are going to pay attention, you know. So yeah. if there's wind or mosquitoes, I just I just find it annoying. <laughs> and I, you know, it's like look right. at me. Yeah. You know, yeah so um right. so th- this is now typically the time I'll, I'll I read the books I didn't get to and and try to write some new songs and then get ready for the fall. And right. so boy, I just had a meeting with my manager about a Kickstarter campaign for the next album. So because we want to start recording by by late fall or early January next year, okay. the next album. Yeah, yeah. But I'll be I'll be hard on the road again September.
0: Well, if you want to co write, I'm happy to do that with you sometime.
1: We, we did. We actually, we, oh, we, yes, we, did. in your kitchen,
0: uh, one yes. time we did.
1: Yeah. We should do something like that. Yeah. 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 I find co writing hard because you're so vulnerable. Like it is. It, yeah. It, it, it takes me so long to come up with one decent line, you know. So I find <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't want you to know how, how awful I am at this. But, uh, <laughs> but I have had a couple of really good co writing experiences. So,
0: and yeah. ours probably not one of them.
1: <laughs> oh. Well, you do it a lot, don't you? Ever since I kind of
0: jumped more into the country community, I've done a lot more collaborative writing. Um and, and do I like like it? I, re- I do enjoy it because it gets me out of my incubated thought. Like often right. so my my process with writing has been I write this down, I think this is brilliant, and then I share it and people go, eh, I don't really get that. But so right. when you've got two or three other minds in the room, right, you, then people kind of go, Oh, that I can see that picture. And then it helps just refine the song mm-hmm. imagery. Yep. Um, and so, so that's definitely helped me. I'm I'm a very feely guy. I write about feelings, uh, where people really need pictures. And I think that's something I'm, I've been working on a lot more in the last five or six years.
1: Well, I gotta say you being in my studio yesterday and watching you and Murray (laughs) write a song off the spot and record it and stuff it was quite, and it was good. Like I, I didn't hear the finished product. I had to leave before the end of the day, but, uh, I just find that astonishing.
0: That's actually. the magic was... of Murray Pulver. I call him the pulverizer. Yeah. The pulverizer. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. He is pretty amazing,
1: isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he's a brilliant, he's brilliant guy. Yeah, he he's is. Fearless he's fearless, yeah.
0: and, and but also everything he does, he approaches at seemingly to me with a smile on his face. Yep. Uh, yep. So we'll have to have him on maybe one of these days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's well. He's also he's a humble guy, and and you can be fearless when you're humble. Like yeah. if you're not if you're not defending an ego. Yeah. You can try anything, right. right? And so and and he he really is, for those of you listeners that don't know him, he's a Winnipeg producer, singer songwriter, um, extraordinary. have yeah. one of the founding of members of
0: Doc Walker, or maybe not founding, but one of the yeah. definitely key in yeah. their in their heyday yeah. for sure. And
1: key key figure in in, um, in uh, Brothers Landris yeah. and, and, yeah. and yeah. produced and several their others. two two or three of their albums yeah. now, or probably yeah. almost a bit of everything yeah. he's had his hand in. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah.
0: yeah, and he works right there, right in that studio, right behind you. Yeah, this is this is
1: kind of where his spot is. Yeah, Yeah. he uh, he spends a lot of time in the studio.
0: Well, I know we're we're shouting out Murray Palver, but uh, Steve, I want to shout out to you. Thanks, my friend, for uh, diving a bit into your story for us and and telling us uh, about some of the fires you've been through and and how you got through them. I always appreciate uh, your thoughts through it all, and uh, and appreciate you, my friend.
1: I appreciate you too. I'm glad I'm glad to to do this uh, on at the same time in the same season on the same planet as you, my friend.
0: As I always say, it takes a village to run things here at Through the Fire, and I want to thank my village, executive producer Sarah Burke, administrators Laurie Brown and Alan Grey Eyes, video and audio design by Chris Godry and his team at 44 Films, Feisty Creative for their design work, social media support by Johnson Design Company, and last but far from least, I want to thank our technical producers, Matt Kundle and Evan Serminski from the Sound Off Media Company. I look forward to sharing more great conversations just like this one on the next through the fire. You see the light.
1: Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. Hi,
0: I'm Emily Roger. And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host,
1: Dave Vail. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world.